0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And, well, speaking of what we are reviewing, this week's episode is me sitting down with Simon Stewart and Dylan Wood to talk about a whole lot of it. And we're covering a wide range of bikes from... Short travel trail bikes, through a couple of e-bikes at a variety of power ranges, and a pair of high pivot enduro bikes from companies very big and very small, and even the Canfield One Point Two Super Enduro for your one ninety millimeter travel monster truck needs. And there's a lot in here, all kinds of frame materials, all kinds of different designs, and the big spectrum of stuff that we're giving you the rundown on. But Before we get into that, I do want to take a quick minute to encourage you to check out our Blister Plus membership, because if you're enjoying listening to us talk about bikes, you might have some questions of your own. And being a Blister member lets you send us an email and get a personalized recommendation for your next bike purchase or upgrade or suspension setup or whatever else it is that you might need help with. So check that out. There are a lot of great benefits, including all the stuff I just mentioned, plus great deals on a whole lot of outdoor gear and much much more so have a look get yourself signed up and with that let's get right to my conversation with simon stewart and dylan wood well dylan simon great to sit down and chat about what we've been testing as always and got a good bit to cover here most of it's going to be new stuff we haven't talked about too so uh I guess to kick it off, we'll kind of start at some of the shorter travel stuff and work our way up and sneak a couple e-bikes in the middle there. Uh, So Dylan, you've, well, just recently started spending time on the new Cannondale Habit. So why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, the Habit. It's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, The first thing that stood out to me was how light this bike was. Uh, I'm testing the large Habit 1 Carbon, and it comes in at just under 30 pounds uh 29 and a half pounds to be exact so pretty light bike and you can feel it right away on the trails it's it's quick it's it's easy to get into the air and it's a you know when we have these shorter travel ish trail bikes uh the habit for example is 140 up front 130 mil in the rear Uh, i think we have an assortment of like bikes that are short travel but kind of trying to feel more stable and planted and more like a trail bike more capable than it should be um and then some bikes that are you know really lively and kind of leaning into that short travel trail um category more and i would say the that the habit is more on like the lively quick um not Super stable and planted. Like it it doesn't trick you into thinking you're on more bike than you are, uh, but in a good way, I'd say. Um, For example, comparing it to the tempo, the tempo definitely feels like it wants to hug the ground a little more, where the habit feels like it wants to catch air, get off the ground, and just kind of a more dynamic feeling to it. Um, It's kind of funny with a bike like the habit, where you know, you see people like the the 5010 crew doing you know crazy huge dirt jumps and 360s and flips and whatnot on it whereas like you know 90 percent of that habit customer base is you know probably just going for for rides and taking it easy and you know not doing anything crazy and i can definitely see both aspects of this bike um I've been yeah doing some some short trail rides on it at Hartman Rocks, you know, some typical stuff, just single track, and handles that really well. Um but they've actually rebuilt some pretty big dirt jumps at the bottom of Hartman's as well and going doing doing that right after a ride too. So, yeah, it's a really versatile trail bike and um definitely something that's really playful uh in a in a category where a lot of bikes are kind of trying to to be more, you know, stable and and game on than, than playful. So I think that's a, a refreshing take on the category for sure. Uh, definitely need some more time on it to, to really, um, you know, figure it out and have, have some, some more things to say, but yeah, so far it feels like a really versatile bike. Uh, that's yeah definitely on the more light playful side reminds me a lot of the pivot shadow cat despite wheel size differences so if you're like uh interested in the shadow cat but not really sure i want the smaller wheels or vice versa Habit could definitely be a, a good alternative in there that category
0: that's pretty interesting so i guess if i'm kind of interpreting all that right it sounds like you're saying it's definitely on the sort of snappier more agile end of the spectrum but maybe not super xc derived exactly kind of blurring the line somewhere a little bit there just in terms of how it handles is that a fair assessment
1: yeah yeah not super xc derived like you know it's got pretty aggressive geometry still like a 480 mil reach uh 440 mil chainstays 65 and a half degree head tube angle for the large so yeah, not super XC, um, but it does feel light. It's real quick to pedal, quick to accelerate, um, especially with the stock tires that it has on it. Has a two-four dissector up front and a Recon out back, so definitely some faster rolling tires on it. Um, yeah, I, it's it sort of feels like a trail bike that is. Is capable, but definitely is trying to be more like light and lively and dynamic than super planted and and stable. I suppose. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and well, I guess to sort of pivot it into a longer travel bike, that I would say kind of some of the same stuff about relative to its class of bikes. I've been spending a bunch of time on the Reeb Steezel, which is their 155 rear travel bike fork on most of the stock builds. they say you can run a 170 if you were so inclined um and kind of interesting steel front triangle aluminum rear end uh pretty normal horse link suspension layout and they talk about it as kind of being an enduro ish bike but then they talk a lot about it being kind of meant for big high country backcountry rides and that kind of stuff and i've got a good bit of time on it now and would say that It definitely feels more like a really long leg, long travel trail bike than it does a super hard charging Enduro one. It pedals really, really well for how much travel it's got. Super efficient, really lively, pretty sharp handling despite having not, you know, it's a, on the large that I'm riding, it's a 64 degree head tube angle, 480 millimeter reach, chainstays are a little on the short side at 434 millimeters, but, you know, kind of, middle of the road geometry in a lot of ways and it's more lively and more snappy and a little bit less stable than i might have expected given all of the numbers coming together but i think that's going to be a cool thing for a lot of people it's a for having as much travel as it does it kind of just covers ground really quickly like i said it pedals super super efficiently it's just fun in more rolling varied terrain where you've got lots of punchy little climbs and then shorter descents and stuff than a lot of like true big enduro bikes are generally speaking but also just has a bit of extra suspension travel compared to a lot of the stuff i'd say similar things about so it's a little more forgiving and a little less fatiguing if you're doing a lot of just big mile days and kind of rougher chunkier terrain and that kind of stuff so it maybe wouldn't be my absolute first choice if you want a bike to just go do a whole bunch of real steep winch and plummet super burly stuff but for a bike that's got a lot of suspension travel and is compliant and has the things that you would want out of a longer travel bike in that respect but is way more versatile as an everyday trail bike and in more varied terrain it's pretty cool so sort of an interesting take on that travel category but i think a good one for the right folks and comes together pretty well for what it's trying to do
2: yeah it sounds like an interesting bike for sure who do you who do you think like um is that is the ideal rider for that bike
0: i think i can think of a few different people who i can see it working really well for one like i kind of already said is people doing it really does feel like it's kind of meant to be like a colorado high country big ride bike in a lot of ways it's it's not that heavy. You know, you think steel full suspension bike and imagine it's kind of a tank, but it's pretty light for what it is. Pedals amazing um, and is just really fun and engaging if you're on kind of more swoopy rolling varied stuff train wise, but also where there's a lot of rocky, chunky weirdness. And you just want a bit of extra suspension travel compared to a lot of the more typically like 130 ish travel bikes that you'd say similar things about it's definitely you know it's got more suspension travel and feels like it and it's just beats you up less uh over the course of a longer day and that sort of stuff um and i can also see it being a really good bike for someone who wants something that they can go ride some pretty steep burly stuff on sometimes but aren't doing that all the time and want kind of a quiver of one bike that's still pretty fun on a blue flow trail but can still get down something pretty steep and pretty rough comfortably enough too so if you've got just a very broad spectrum of stuff you want to do on one bike it feels like it covers a lot of bases pretty well sort of you know definitely a bit of like a jack of a bunch of trades master of none situation a little bit but um super versatile and can do a lot of things pretty respectably well
2: i mean i could when i was when i was saying that um who do you think it's for i'm like i could see myself getting along with it i think because you give it a lot of praise for it's um it's pedaling efficiency and then you know once you are up in the high country you got up there for a reason because you want to go down the bloody high country afterwards and have a really good descent so it seems like that's where it really slots in nicely
0: yeah for that kind of stuff i think it's a really compelling option yeah i'm actually going to be handing that off to our other reviewer Zach Henderson for a little bit here. So, uh, we'll have his opinion on it as well. Full review coming up in a bit, flash reviews up on the site already. Um, so more on that one to come, but getting along with it pretty well for what it's trying to do. Guess we should uh, keep this moving. And Simon, you've been spending time on the new Santa Cruz heckler SL. So how about you tell us about that?
2: Oh man. Yeah. The heckler SL. So, You know, what we needed was a bike to really turn things upside down a little bit and um, make me rethink a few things because I've been pretty vocal about being team full power, big battery e-bike, longer travel, you know, just get all the capability, all the range, all the power. And then the heckler comes along (laughs) and I'm like, wow, this thing is really, really good and I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, one of the questions we posed in The Flash was, or, sorry, the first look was, can you ride to, you know, equally fit riders? Could you ride alongside a full-power e-bike? And the answer is kind of yes. <laughs> um, more so than the Trek uh, Fuel EXE, which these two are definitely in the same category, the lighter weight, lower-powered, smaller-battery bikes. But the Fazula Ride 60 system is more powerful than the TQ, and has a bigger battery so it is
0: that is to say the fazua in the heckler and the tq is as spec on the fuel exe just to clarify
2: that's right yeah um and now i also mentioned that range wise the two of them are comparable only though when you're on the lowest setting you're in, you're in sort of like your your range mode your eco mode whatever you want to call it um when in those modes you you basically have a very similar range between the two bikes, but when you crank the power up on the trek it 's almost like having a four barrel carburetor and you just get into the secondaries and watch the fuel gauge go down. That thing just drains the battery when it 's on full power mode while as the uh, Santa Cruz with the uh, Fazua system does not it just um, well, it 's got more battery, but it doesn 't seem to suck the battery down anywhere near as fast in full power mode so you do need to be on full power mode to be clear if you're going to ride with um, someone that's on a full-powered, big battery uh, e-bike. But um, I ran them side by side, and it was surprisingly close. The the tr- uh, sorry, the Santa Cruz is faster in some sections, and the of course, the full power bikes are faster if it's just a long, you know, sustained climb. But here's here's the thing: like when. When you go past the motor cutoff, so you've got a, you got a descent that's not steep enough where you don't have to pedal, right? So pedaling is a factor and you get to the motor cutoff. You're going to pull away on the, um, on the Santa Cruz cause it's, it's easier to pedal past that 20 mile an hour cutoff much easier. So you're going to start pulling away in certain situations and then others, you know, it's pretty much, it's pretty much a wash. You're going to hang right in there on these descents. So, um, not that anybody wants to hear that you need a quiver of e-bikes now, but I think there's a, a valid case for having both. Dang, it's um it's really good uh, in so many different areas. So so fun, so playful. Uh, the you know the RockShox suspension feels amazing. I love that um, hydraulic bottom out on the Super Deluxe rear shock. Um, the new lyric, everything on it just feels really plush, and. Um, I think it's coming across that I'm getting along really well with it so yeah
0: uh, I don't think we're uh, unclear on that at all uh, it is interesting <laughs> to hear you say that it the, um, the heckler feels the SL that is feels a lot easier to pedal past the 20 mile an hour cutoff for the power assist than the various full power e-bikes do would you say that even that's more down to just the fact that it's not as heavy or is it combination of that plus there being less drag in the system when you're powering through it or some combination thereof
2: yeah i think and, and the, the trek with the tq system also pedals well past the cutoff. so both of those have it seems like less drag um, and they are you know quite a bit lighter the, that heckler is like 42 and some change so um, most of these bikes we've been testing are 50 although the e-troy what we'll get to here next is 55 so uh, quite a big difference there that and, and it did pose the question you know and I was having this conversation with some of the races um, e enduro like in certain on certain courses I could see a lower power bike being a good choice if you're gonna have some of these um, some of these uh, uh, segments that are you know pedally and pedally downhill a little bit like you could push past it faster I'm like I definitely know I'm faster on some sections on the Heckler than on a full power D bike downhill, depending on, you know, the terrain.
0: How much would you say you're feeling like the weight difference between those sorts of classes of bikes is making a difference when you're descending on a trail where that's steep enough. You're not really needing to pedal all that much. And just in terms of the handling feel and what it's like to, muscle the bike around when you're talking you know 42 pounds versus 50 plus
2: yeah the you know i've been trying not to use the word natural as much as possible and trying to make not make the correlation between non-powered bikes because they are their own thing these days and the more you ride them the more that is your natural but there's that lighter weight does have its merits it does you know it is easier to move around it is i would say more fun in a lot of areas. It just doesn't plow as much. It's just, you can really be more dynamic on the bike all the way around. So if that's what you're after, it's definitely something worth considering. What do I still want to have a full powered e-bike in my fleet all the time? Yes, 100%. Not gonna go away from that. Absolutely love those things. And what the, the the amount of terrain that can you can open up with them. And the you know, the adventure rides you can do, these big batteries is incredible, but. I'm really having a good time on that heckler right on and well,
0: to sort of moving into the Da Vinci Troy that you teed up there started spending a little bit of time on that too um, obviously early days on that one haven't
2: got a ton of time on it yet but yeah, I just got off it right before this um, podcast actually um, still in my um my clothes <laughs> yeah well, yeah, what were the early impressions there like well. You know, uh, these couldn't be too f- couldn't be further apart. Honestly, like the um, the travel numbers and some of this geometry is not too far apart on these bikes, but they are completely different animals on the trail. I mean, a fifty-five pound bike and a forty-two pound bike. One's full power, um, one is more lightweight and um, less powered. But wow, the the DaVinci's of one seventy, one fifty bikes. So this one we have the GX Limited spec. The GXS spec is 160, 150. So you get extra 10 millimeters of travel on the bike that we have in for review. Um, the spec, the weight, you know, double down rear tire, like it all points towards a completely different focus on this bike. And it, and it absolutely feels it like the rides that I've been doing on it haven't really tapped its potential yet because uh, we need to get it on some really steep, chunky stuff. Um, and it just... It feels like a lot to, to muscle around on just regular mountain bike trails right now. Honestly, 63 degree head angles, pretty slack. But then he's got a really steep seat tube angle of 78 and a half. So I'm feeling like I'm pretty far forward on it. Um, I haven't got really used to it yet, to be honest with you, and it was a lot of work to move around. Um, I was definitely not as fast on a lot of the segments sections that I uh, that would be on the Heckler or some of my other um, full power e-bikes we have in the test, like the Pivot Shuttle AM, which aligns pretty closely in the travel department. It's a 160, 150 bike. So, uh, yeah, the Da Vinci, you know, they they made a choice to go down to a smaller battery on that to a 625 watt hour battery because they're worried about the weight, as I think they should have been with a full bosch 750 in there that would have been a 57 pound bike so you know you you made the right decision (laughs) you know 625 is going to be ample for most and you also have the option for the uh the power more bosch range extender which gives you an extra 250 watts hours of power Uh, but this thing is um it's a kind of a it's kind of a smasher right now the suspension does feel good it does have a 38 up front so everything points to more towards a Downhill focused, more of an enduro bike, but you know they are building it as a trail bike. They do have a an enduro bike sitting above it in their um, bike department.
0: <laughs> right, that was kind of what I've been most curious about with that is that it's marketed as a trail bike. It's got, like you said, a little bit less suspension travel, especially in the standard builds without the one seventy four feet you've got. But it's got notably aggressive geometry for that, and it's going to be interesting to see how that. All kind of comes together. Uh, so probably leave that there.
2: Yeah, more time, more time, and 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 getting up onto some of these moto trails that I'd like to ride that are steep, chunky, straight fall line trails. I think then it's going to really come into its own. What I've been riding on it these these last couple of days hasn't really shown out. You know, it's it's strengths at this point. It's more felt a bit cumbersome, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Like we said, kind of early days in the testing of that one. It'll be interesting to see how that all goes as you get some more time on it and maybe get it into some more ideally suited terrain for it and try to, yeah, see what we wind up with here. But uh, more on that to come and well, keep things rolling here Uh, for another bike that we've fairly recently started spending time on. I've got a handful of rides on it, but not a super ton yet. I've got the new propane tie in for review so uh that's their 160 millimeter travel enduro-ish bike um and it's available most of the standard builds come with a 160 travel fork on it they happen to send one with 170 millimeter travel zeb for me again so it's again a little bit up forked um as compared to the standard offerings but um it is in some ways, like this diesel, a comparatively versatile take on a 160 ish travel, quote unquote, enduro bike. But it's a very, very different feel and version of that sort of thing from this diesel. So it's uh, the tie pedals perfectly respectably for what it is. 160 travel bike again, but not anything like the standout that the Stiesel is on that front, it's just kind of average middle of the road, perfectly fine. Not amazing. Um, But what the TIE stands out more in terms of is that it is a notably playful, easy to throw around bike that just feels like it's well-suited for someone who wants to, seek out things to jump off of and throw the bike around in the air and slash the rear end around and just generally ride with a little bit more free ridey playful approach than necessarily a just flat out hard charging race bike kind of feel um and for that sort of stuff it feels pretty well suited uh our review bike came set up as a mullet it's a flip chip so you can convert it to run as a full 29er which i will be doing down the line but haven't yet experimented with so it'll be interesting to see how that changes its character uh but one thing that i think is interesting about the tie is that despite all the stuff i started to said about it being pretty playful and comparatively nimble for what it is it's actually got pretty long chain stays at 445 millimeters and uh, i think that has i've talked a bunch about how my general preference is that i'm not the most fond of mullet bikes in general um just kind of from how they handle in terms of the way this, that they tend to feel like the back end of the bike tips into a corner a little bit faster and you sort of have to catch that and counter steer out of it a little bit and the tie feeling pretty neutral and pretty intuitive on that front and i think the combination of mullet plus pretty long chainstays is actually working really nicely to make it still have some of the quicker handling that you get out of going to the smaller rear wheel, but less of the floppy steering and tippiness that I have felt on a bunch of mullets with generally shorter chain stays. And it's kind of a nice combination that's clicking for me pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see what 29er flying it does to that. And like I said, we'll report back, but uh, as a mullet, it's a, yeah, generally, pretty intuitive pretty easy to get along with slightly more playful more nimble not mega stable 160 travel enduro bike that you can still go ride a bunch of real steep stuff on too and it's it's definitely more stable than the Steezel, for example i'm not trying to say that it's lacking in that department by any stretch but it's just not the most ultra planted super duper stable thing out there either
2: that's that's interesting about the chain stays, honestly uh the Heckler as a 444 length chainstay in a mixed wheel size, and I've been really enjoying that. I typically would have seen that number and and wished it had been a bit shorter with a mullet just to give it a little bit more um, playfulness and and the ability just to to manual a little easier and things like that. But it, it's it's actually turned out really well. Maybe the same thing that you're feeling. I'm just it still steps out. It still has that thing where it just likes to square off a corner and the back end slides out really easily. But it's. Um, it's not like exactly what you said. It's not tipping into the corners. Yeah, it's all
0: working out pretty well. And I guess one other thing worth noting on the tie is that it is, they are a notably good value for money in terms of the part spec. The one that I'm reviewing is mostly the Phantom build, apart from the aforementioned Zeb fork swapped in for the standard Lyric, and that it's uh, some decent aluminum wheels a sram XO transmission group set um lyric ultimate and super deluxe ultimate on the standard configuration of it uh and then actually even a Rockshox reverb axs uh axis reverb uh and in the carbon frame that's all uh coming in for 6400 bucks roughly so it's um a really good value part spec wise uh which worth noting um does have headset cable routing on the carbon one which i will be complaining about a bunch more in the floor view to come don't like that at all the aluminum version of the frame does have the option for more conventional internal routing so if you're put off by the headset routing the aluminum one gives you the option to go either way uh the carbon one lacks that but um yeah especially in terms of the parts spec it's pretty compelling and um, we've kind of had hit or miss results on some of those more affordable direct-to-consumer frames in terms like there have been ones that have worked out really nicely some where the part spec looked amazing and then the frame wasn't really up to snuff and the tie seems really pretty well sorted out so far don't have any frame build quality seems pretty good everything rides well I don't have complaints about it like I have on Certain other super affordable direct consumer bikes. So generally, pretty good stuff to report there.
2: How was it packaged? If so, you were you were the consumer that received it. How did it? How did it go together? How did it compare to like a took like a Canyon? I think was really good.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, the bike actually we got it. It had some. It had been ridden previously. It wasn't a brand new and straight out of the box standard. So I don't know oh, I how much yeah. to read into that. But it was pretty standard assembly, basically put on the uh, put on the handlebars put on the front wheel um, adjust everything a little bit you know align bar and stem and that kind of stuff but it it didn't take much it was pretty close to being ready to go Um, but yeah I can't speak to propane's standard packaging since they were boxing up a demo bike that had already been put together at some point so but yeah overall good stuff so far more on that one to come to and well started to move up into keep moving up into some bigger bikes here dylan you've been spending time on the canfield 1.2 super enduro build which i rode for a while before selling it over your way and i've talked about it better in here before but curious to hear your take
1: yeah definitely feels like an enduro bike and a downhill bike kind of mixed into one with obvious compromises on either end right so I'd say it feels more kind of like on the, on the free ridey, like cushy, um, yeah, more not really super race oriented in the fact, in the sense that it, you know, it doesn't feel super like stiff and supportive, um, more so feels like something that's designed to, you know, handle big hits, go off big drops, big jumps, things like that. Just, yeah. feels super, super cushy, um, it, it, I think I've been surprised by how well it climbs. I wasn't, you know, obviously the bar for a 190 front and back travel bike, completely metal, you know, the bar for how well you would expect it to climb is, is pretty low, but it's it definitely surpasses that. I don't think it's the worst climbing enduro bike I've ever been on. That would probably be the Norco range, as we mentioned too much in bikes and big ideas. Um, But yeah, I don't, it's, it's really not too bad in terms of how it climbs. And, you know, you can, you can definitely go take it on trails that you've always wished that you could magically have a downhill bike at the top of, um, and just pedal this thing up. It, it's pretty great. It can definitely feel like too much bike on a lot of trails, um, in the sense that, yeah, it can kind of feel sluggish and cumbersome and there's just kind of that feeling of, you know 190 mils of travel between you and the trail can definitely create a lot of vagueness and just kind of sort of a riding above the trail rather than kind of in it feeling i suppose is is how i would describe it um but the other end of that is yeah like i said if if you're if you've got these trails that you're like man it would be sweet to have a downhill bike on this but you know there's no road to the top or the shuttle's inconvenient whatever like this is the bike for it pedal winch this thing up and yeah, have a screaming time on the way down. Um, just a lot of, a lot of suspension handles big hits real, really nicely handles. Yeah. Chatter and chunder really well. Um, it's, it's a really good bike at the bike park too. Um, you know, big old jump trails, drops, just kind of you know abusing it, lap after lap on some brake bumps. It's it's really awesome for that. I think a lot of folks who, you know, maybe own an enduro bike that is you know designed with pedaling in mind, like let's say Yeti SB 160, Santa Cruz Mega Tower, those kind of bikes. But then you own it and you find yourself you know riding two bike park days for every day that you you know, actually pedal it uphill. I think those folks will probably be better served by getting on a bike like the 1.2 that really just handles the bike park, um, better and yeah, offers a lot more forgiveness and, and smoother ride on the way down. Um, yeah, really cool bike. I'm not, I'm not sure it, it, it kind of has a place, in like a quiver with an enduro or a downhill bike, you know, it's kind of like a bike that you would get if you kind of want both and want to make compromises on, on either end. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a really, really good option for, um, a lot of folks who kind of find themselves in that, in that in between world for sure.
0: Yeah. That's pretty similar to my take too. And I'm definitely with you on the pedaling performance being better than expected in terms of suspension efficiency. I think at least from my standpoint, the thing that would make it climb better is just if the seat tube was a bit steeper. Uh, I am finding it a little lacking on that front. And I'd be curious for your thoughts, Dylan. I, guess, I know I'm a little taller and have longer legs, so kind of higher seat height. And that might be more of a problem for me than it is for you on that front. But any thoughts there?
1: No, I agree. Um, even yesterday I was, I was um, riding these trails that just has a really, really steep um, forest road to get out to it. And yeah, it was basically just like tucking as far over those handlebars as I could and definitely wishing for a steeper c tube angle, especially with how high the stack height is on that bike. I don't have the number right in front of me, but you can imagine a, you know, 194 up front, definitely gets the gets those bars really high no matter how um far down on the on the steer tube you have it slammed which i do have that stem slammed all the way and yeah i definitely find myself yeah leaned over pretty good to try and keep that front wheel tracking well um, on some really steep climbs um i guess i understand like you know like this is a downhill bike at the same time right they use the same frame for for both the downhill and the in the super enduro builds um but yeah i think a steeper c tube angle would definitely sweeten the deal for sure
0: okay yeah good to sort of get your take there but um seems like we're pretty well aligned on that one and i guess to sort of keep it moving here um i guess i'm going to merge these two a little bit because they're an interesting comparison to each other in a bunch of ways and I've been riding both the new Trek slash and the Contra MC and it's sort of a case in comparing high pivot enduro bikes from what has to be the biggest company making one right now and one of the smallest. And they actually have sort of interestingly similar geometry and suspension kinematics though. The, uh, slash has a couple millimeters more rear wheel travel at 170 as supposed to 165 on the contra both 170 forks both 63 and a half degree head tube angles um and a little bit longer reach on the contra i'm writing an xl for the contra but a large slash so the contra is a 500 millimeter reach versus 490 on the slash uh and both kind of long chain stays, 444 on the Contra, 440 on the Slash when set up as a full 29er. That one's both mulletable and dual 29 compatible. Um, and actually, kind of similar suspension kinematics, too. And they ride similarly in some ways, and then there are a handful of really notable differences. So they're both actually pretty impressively efficient for being big, long-travel, high-pivot enduro bikes, um, both on a completely different planet than the (laughs) Norco range, again, to keep bringing that up, and they are just generally really stable, composed bikes that, unsurprisingly, want something steep and fast and rough to just go charge on, and the notable differences though are i think in large part down to just frame construction and ride quality that results from that the contra is a steel frame there are both aluminum and carbon versions of the slash i've been on the carbon one and probably unsurprisingly the slash frame just feels stiffer and more precise especially when you're kind of able to really load it up hard in the big berm corner or something like that but at the same time it also just transmits a little more feedback in rougher, choppier sections of trail and the MC mutes that out and feels even more smooth and composed and just less kind of occasionally a little pingy and a little bit of feedback that comes through when you're just running through something fast and rough and the MC's really especially good at just smoothing all that out and not transmitting those kind of little sharp bits of feedback through to the rider without feeling ultra planted and dead and vague in a way that some of the more super duper planted bikes can at times and it's a pretty interesting combination Um, and I was also sort of curious to see just what the build quality on the MC would be like, you know, small company making frames in the U S and it's really excellent. Everything's really well aligned. The geometry is all spot on what it's supposed to be from the chart. I've kind of gone through and measured stuff. Pivot hardware is all great. It's been quiet. Doesn't creak, doesn't have anything quirky going on. It's really nicely built and I'm getting along with it great and i like the slash quite a bit too but i do think that the extra just bit of smoothness and a little bit more muted ride and more little extra composure that you get from that out of the mc is feeling welcome for a bike that's just first and foremost really trying to encourage you to pedal up to the top of something and then go really fast on something super rough and kind of gnarly and for a bike to just open it up and try to go really fast it's incredibly confidence inspiring and impressive um all that said especially if you want to set it up as a mullet and make it a little bit more sharp handling and nimble the slash can at least be configured to be a little quicker handling a little less of a handful and super tight spots than the Contra um, and does a lot of the same stuff pretty well. Generally just isn't quite as ultra composed and smooth as the MC is.
2: Sounds like you like the, uh, the MC a little more.
0: (laughs) Frankly, I think I do. And it is worth underlining too, that again, the pedaling efficiency of both of them is, really quite surprisingly good uh we've been on a bunch of high pivot enduro bikes um and there's a a wide spectrum of pedaling efficiency there but generally speaking between them just being big long travel bikes in general and then also the bit of extra drag you get from the additional idler pulley or pulleys in the case of ones that take a chain guide which these both do you do tend to feel like you're losing a little bit but I think the fact that both of those bikes use really big idlers for both the mainframe idler and the roller on the chain guide just helps not bend the chain into as tight bends and smooth all that out. The Contra in particular has the idler positioned really far forward, so you've got a much longer run of chain going from the idler back to the cassette, so the chain's bent at less of an angle. And they just both of them have done a really good job of refining the high pivot layout such that the drag detriments that you can get on it are probably not fully gone but minimized fairly effectively it's also actually worth pointing out that the contra ended up building up to less than a pound heavier than the carbon slash did Um, granted a slightly fancier build and that it's exo transmission instead of gx but it's also got a coil shock on it which the slash doesn't and that's with dh tires on the contra and the stock kind of trail enduroyish ish casing out of the stock monster tires on the trek. so um despite the differences in frame materials the end result of complete bike weight is pretty darn close on both of them
2: God, I'd say that Concho would come in lighter if you built it similar to the Trek. If you could take the Kyle, put an air shock in there, change the the tires. Dang.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how, what the Trek frame weight comes out to. I've not taken it apart to weigh it yet, but kind of want to now just to sort of see, given how close the end result was in terms of the complete spec, so... Time will tell. I'll will get that figured out at some point. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised at how little weight difference there is in the complete bikes. So um, the Contra frame is not white, certainly, but I guess it sort of seems like the Trek probably isn't either. And and just uh, to be clear, we're talking the Trek came out to 37 pounds even without pedals, and the Contra is 37.8. So they're both hefty but um not far off from each other and do a good job of hiding that weight on the way up just given that they the pedaling position is good they pedal pretty efficiently they're not bikes that you're gonna go really mash and try to go super fast on but if you're sitting and spinning they both do it pretty well so we'll have a whole lot more on both of those coming flash reviews are up on the site for both and full reviews to come later but uh I think that's our program for the day. Anything else we want to wrap up on, or shall we call it there?
2: I got a shout-out to uh, Irish World Cup downhill racing. One and two on the podium, Oslo Callahan and Ronan Dunn. That's a um, pretty big day. I was shouting pretty loud, I got to say. So, fantastic. The end of the French reign is over. I'm just kidding.
0: For one weekend, anyway.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah for one weekend yeah uh, we're gonna just take it though we're gonna take it well yeah
0: and i guess you can just sort of not look at the uh, overall standings on that front but you know good weekend for you guys though so i'm sure that was fun well i guess that'll wrap it then uh so thank you both fun chatting bikes as always and we'll do it again soon i'm sure
2: yeah till next time yep cheers
0: all right That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas, and as always, we would appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I'd also like to say thanks to Simon and Dylan for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll be back again next week. Bye, everybody.